Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Pedham here as always. And of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a 5-0 away win at Bramall Lane on Saturday, of course, against Sheffield United. Villa's first win at Bramall Lane, I think, since 1994. I read the stat yesterday, at least. So hopefully I'm right there and hopefully that was a viable stat. But regardless of that, we do have a packed house edition of the Holt cast. We have Mr. Sebastian Bacon, Simon O'Regan, and Tom Nightingale to join us for the next little bit. We'll see how long this one takes us. I'm not putting a time limit on that because, well, it just wouldn't be advisable. So sit back and join. Of course, wherever you're listening to this, be sure to subscribe if you're new or if you've been listening for a while and haven't subscribed, be sure to do so, whether it's Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, it's always appreciated. And yeah, it just makes it easier for others to find us. But nonetheless, let's get over to the fellows first. Seb, you're on the top of my screen, so let's start with you. How's it going? And uh, yeah, yesterday was pretty brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yesterday was was even better than, than pretty brilliant. Um, unexpected, I can't lie. I was going into it slightly nervous. Um, you know, it seemed seemed very villa to go there and struggle. Obviously, they, they held us earlier on in the season, but the way we dispatched them was... I want to say the Villa of old, but I don't think that would really be justice for us. The Villa under Unai Emery that you'd expect, perhaps. Um, and it was, yes, just a perfect day all around, really. Absolutely. Simon, I'll come to you. How's it going? And I mean, we're just going to love this 5-0 result. So how do you feel about this one as well? Yes, yeah, uh, it was much needed, I think, wasn't it? You know, after certainly after the defeat to Newcastle, but also kind of like a little dip in form but I, it's kind of it's one of those that I, I get what, what Seb's saying and that is sort of unexpected because I, I didn't quite expect that but um, I think I tweeted out last night that we've we've lost seven games in all competitions this season and after every defeat we've won the next game which I think is um, you know that that's that's like an elite level mentality which which Emery seems to have instilled into the squad we don't you know, we don't let uh, a defeat turn into a run of defeats uh, seemingly this season. So, it kind of, it, I, I get why why you say unexpected because I didn't quite see it coming as well. But really, I suppose we should have because it's, we've responded to defeats brilliantly this season. So it's just you know par for the course at the moment, isn't it? Absolutely, and of course, let's come to Tom Nightingale now. Tom, how's it going for you and Una Emery for King of the World? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, pretty much, right? Like, like, the, like the guys said, like it seems seems ridiculous after a 5-0 win like that to say that you were feeling a bit hesitant in the lead up to the game. But it's not just the, you know, there was there was there was reason for that. There was evidence for that because we, we haven't been we haven't been poor, but we've been some way below the high standards we set ourselves. Like my argument is that before yesterday, I didn't actually think we played well for ninety minutes since we beat City and Arsenal back-to-back, which is, what, two months ago now. Um, so the most pleasing thing for me yesterday, not even the scoreline, really, it's that, like, like Sheffield United were awful, but too many times Villa 
in recent years and also I think the last couple of months have kind of struggled to really impose themselves on games like that, even when we've been clearly the superior team. Um, so what most pleasing for me really was the way we just came out and gave them zero chance of being in the game from the first minute. Like there was absolutely no messing around to be, I've forgotten exactly what it was, but I think we were three up what after half an hour. Four um, up after half an hour. <laughs> four up after half an hour, you know. And then even little things like coming out start the second half, you'd be, you know, talking about it being very Villa, would have been very Villa, like four nil up after the first half. And then second half, you concede one and it all becomes a bit messier than it needs to be. So then to come out and score 90 seconds after the start of the second half, just to sort of underline the first half performance, just everything about it was fantastic, really. And it's just the, I think it's just the tonic, particularly. Now, we were talking before we came on recording Wednesday, big chance to uh, keep going in the FA Cup with a favourable draw in the next round. Like, it's a real chance to build some momentum now and put um, the slightly subpar last few weeks behind us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know it's Villa's day when Sheffield United do Sheffield United, sorry, do have it in the back of the net. To be fair, it was offside, but it just went our way and we have a clean sheet. And that's all that really matters. So to run everyone through the game, of course, if you if you missed it and you're not exactly sure who the goal scorers were, we'll give you a little bit of that info right now. Of course, John Ginn scored in the twelfth minute, Ollie Watkins in the sixteenth, assisted by Dougie Louise. I mean, probably one of the naughtiest balls I've ever seen in my life and God bless that man uh, of course Leon Bailey scoring in the 20th minute with an assist from Ollie Watkins Tillemans scores in the 30th minute with an absolute howitzer fireball whatever you want to call it it's it was just absolutely wonderful I did quickly here I did see someone complaining that we use that set please play on Tillemans and we should have kept it for another game I don't really understand that mentality because we scored from it but regardless I just wanted to address that because some things on social media drive me nuts. But anyways, of course, and Alex Moreno scored in the 47th minute, assisted by Sir Oliver Watkins. I mean, it's a very strong result. Basically, Sheffield United uh, were absolutely castrated after the 20th minute when it was 3-0. And some of their fans were leaving after the 20th minute, uh, in which I know some people have opinions on that. We're not going to get into that. But when it's not your day, it's just not your day. But Seb, I'll come to you first. I mean... Considering results since the turn of the year heading into 2024, they haven't been catastrophic. They've been slightly concerning. The goals definitely haven't been coming. This is Villa's fourth clean sheet within the first five games of 2024. So there's a at least an impressive stat if you want to take some positive out of that little run. But it was ever so important to come out with a strong response in this one and just to finally kind of get the Villa engine running again, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Um it was a little blip. Uh, every team has them in the season. Um, and I think we've just got to hope that now it is past us and we can go back to the form that we saw at the start of the season. Um, yeah, look, it, it was the perfect response and we've got a lot of games coming up. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on three different competitions with with not that long left to go in the season. It's starting to shape up and we're starting to be able to predict what teams are going to be in a battle for what sort of position. Um, this kind of feels like, you know, I, I don't know how many of you watch cycling. I don't only in the Olympics, but I'm going to use it in my analogy anyway, you know, in cycling where they're sort of jostling for position, it might be a 10 lap race and eight of those laps. They're sort of cantering quite slowly, just trying to find that perfect position for the final two laps of sprinting. Um, that sort of feels like the stage we're in at the moment. I think we were, we were saying 
uh, before we started recording that uh, well, I personally think that it's going to be a three-team shootout for fourth and fifth between us, Spurs and um, Man United. Obviously, some of you don't share that opinion. But yeah, just picking up points where we can now, as many as possible. Obviously, we're playing United next week, so that will be a, a huge game and, and we'll be able to go three points ahead, gain an advantage there. So it's just all about the fine margins now and making sure that we're in that good position in well in all three competitions hopefully for the last few months of the season absolutely i mean simon of course Ezri Konza came in at right back leon bailey starting uh further out wide as well i think there were obvious changes to be made i know there was a lot to make of uh maddie cash being admitted to the bench um on social media and a lot of people read into that one i know we discussed that one somewhat in depth pre-recording so maybe that would have been something very good to record but i mean those two coming in in terms of obviously cons moving over to from center back to right back and leon bailey being further up forward those are pretty obvious and expected ones weren't they and they worked out brilliantly yeah i mean i, I was really surprised that bailey didn't start in midweek against Newcastle, to be honest, and and then having, you know, the impact he made when he came on, it, it was a no-brainer that, that he was gonna gonna start on on Saturday, um, and then yeah, Conte coming in for cash again, I, I, yeah, you know, you know, like you said there, it's kind of I, there's trying to make people try to make a big thing out of it, bigger than it, it needs. I don't think you know it is a thing. It's, it's not new. It's, it's not like. This is the first time Cash has been on the bench this season, and Cons has played right back. So, I kind of, I, I, it didn't seem, yeah, it wasn't really that unexpected. I don't think, like you say, um, it's it's a weird one. That I, I, I think Cash, I think overall, actually has had a pretty good season overall. But I think the last month or so, he's not been at his best. But then neither's the whole team. But he, he seems to be the the player that social media have decided is is the new scapegoat. We we have to have one. It doesn't matter how well things are going. There's there's always got to be one player that everyone decides is absolutely shit and is no good and needs to go. Um I'm not saying that cash can't be upgraded <laughs> at some stage in the future, but I, I think it's uh I think he's it's a bit unfair some of the sick that he's got. So cons are coming in at right back for him. I I don't it's yeah it's not a surprise and you know obviously it was it was handy to have a right back on the bench when Conza gets his little injury as as a precaution, although as again, like we, you know, we we said a lot of good content before we started recording. We really need to stop doing this because Seb Seb made a good point that you know it was an opportunity probably for for Kessa Hayden to to come on. You know, I think we were we were up. No, yeah, we're falling up at that stage, weren't we? So you know, you probably could have done that, but um, you know, I, I don't think it's. Uh, it's it's something that that people need to really make a, a big deal out of, you know that that right back situation. I think the one with Bailey, that's probably more of a, a talking point in terms of DRB. Now, I I don't subscribe again to the the geniuses on social media that have decided that he's shit and is a complete waste of money, and is you know let's let's write him off. That's absolute bollocks, obviously. But um, it's. It is an interesting one. What's you know, he's there's no doubt that he's not been playing as well as he did at the start of the season. And I kind of I, I think I I wonder if one of the reasons why he he started say on against Newcastle is an element of maybe trying to play him into form a little bit. But I think when Bailey's been so good this season, 
I, I don't think you, you can you can necessarily afford to to do that in in certain games. Like it would have made more sense to start Bailey against Newcastle and then DRB against the weaker opponents in Sheffield United. But um, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting one how that sort of develops over the season. But I'm uh, I'm in no way, by the way, writing off Lisa Diaby whatsoever. It's like the thing that you're right about, Diab, like fans and Diaby. It's like, have we learned nothing about Le- from from the Leon Bailey situation? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was I was one of many who was like quite vocal in criticizing Bailey in his first what couple of years at the club. Um, hold my hand up completely. Like I said at the start of the season, I think on our preview pod that I think Leon Bailey is one of the players who has got a really really big season ahead of him because if things hadn't have gone well for Bailey this season. You get into a point where, yeah, okay, after like three years or whatever it is, maybe it is time to admit that it's not going to happen. He is absolutely unplayable at the moment. Like, and Sheffield United were terrible. Like, let's get this get this straight. But it's not just been. It's not like it was just yesterday. Like every time Leon Bailey is on the pitch for us at the moment, he looks exactly like the winger that we hoped we were getting when we signed him. Um, do, do, do you know what I, I think uh, one, one of the reasons for that is so I, I always remember years and years and years ago Arsene Wenger saying something about when, when foreign players come to the Premier League it can take 6 to 12 months for them to adapt <clears throat> now with Leon Bailey obviously this is his third season but kind of his first one I, I think you can almost write off because he came to the club injured and he basically spent the whole year injured yeah. so if you if you write that off and just don't, you know, you can't really count that because he's not been able to get going. So then you, his second season really was his his first proper season of regular football. Yeah. And the last six months of that was Emery coming in. And, you know, he played every week. And there, there were times last season when Bailey, when, when fans were, were, were getting in, and I got frustrated with him myself. But I used to always say, there's a reason that Emery plays him pretty much every week. And I think that now he's had... He had that 12 months of being fit and being able to adapt to the league. And that's what you're seeing now. And that's what we need to remember with DRB. I know he started like a house on fire, but he's still in that adaptation period. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. And like, I think it is difficult. You mentioned about like, do you try and play players into form? It is tough, right? Because you don't want, you need to keep them sharp and help them develop that or whatever. But I agree. Like Bailey for me at the moment is, um, if you've got if you've got a game and you need to break you eat well either really if you need to break a team down or you're going to have space on the counter attack like if either of those situations are going to happen in a game you've got to have leon bailey on the pitch at the moment i think like his his stats are absolutely ridiculous goal goal or assist every 78 minutes in the premier league he's got 19 goals and assists in all competitions this season he's only started 18 games it's like it's, it's madness like and so to have like his, I think his the season he's having so far is the biggest like microcosm or the biggest single player example of um, the effect that a coach like Unai Emery and the ecosystem that that we build around a coach like Unai Emery has on players because the the, the transformation is just astonishing, honestly, and like all power to him because one thing you can one thing you've always been able to say about Leon Bailey is that he clearly cares. Right, I remember him. I remember him in tears. I can't remember when it was, but he missed a chance, didn't he? Last minute, um, in a game, and he was like in tears about it. And it's just because he cares, and so it's great to see players like that doing so well. And I thought he was, yeah. I mean, I've used the word already. I thought he was unplayable on Saturday. 
100 percent i'm just looking at bailey's stats for just solely the premier league um for this conversation's sake so he's made um 21 appearances this campaign so far he scored seven goals um let's see here he has six assists during that time that's goals per match of 0.33 he scored two with his right five with his left He's had 31 shots, 12 on target, which means 39% shooting accuracy. He's hit the woodwork once. He's had one, only one big chance is missed, which is probably one of the key things. He's made 369 passes, which equates to about 17.57 passes per match. And one thing here, which I, I really like to see, seven big chances created. That is something we hadn't seen from Leon Bailey ever, mainly because how many, he would break down. <laughs> as you got it in front of you, how many, how many Premier League games has he started? Uh, this season i think it's only about 10 12 something like that see here i don't know if it's gonna give me starts but so it's like his you know his stats his stats are incredible when you look even when you look at per game but you look at per minute and stuff he's uh, i mean at what point do you label him one of the best wingers in the league true on current form i literally the tom of 12 months ago would not be able to believe that i've just said those words out loud but there you go no, he was Bambi on ice twelve months ago, Tom. We have to we have to admit that. Like, well, I mean, you, him. you say you ask that question, and like, obviously, um, you know, there's there's players who have probably performed for longer periods of time. But if you're talking about this, the best wingers in the league this season, you look at those stats for a player for a club sitting in fourth. You'd have to put him in that conversation of who's been the best winger in the league this season. Bailey's right up there. I mean, yeah. a goal or was it a goal or assist every seventy-eight minutes? Yeah, in the league, yeah. That's that. That is ridiculous. Like that. Those are those are numbers that you'd expect, like to be talked about with like Sada or Saka. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in even within that argument, you're not even including um, the Conference League and the qualifiers, which I'm pretty sure he scored, but two goals and an assist in the qualifiers and a goal and two assists in just the conference league play in the group stage. Um, so add that on to his tally. And I think that's about 31 games, including FA Cup and the EFL Cup, where he scored 10 goals and had nine assists. Um, <laughs> that's a, a massive, massive improvement compared to any season he's had at Villa. And he's been very, very durable. I think that's the one thing we all have to keep in mind. We always wonder why um, Leon Bale isn't starting every single match, but Unai Emery isn't stupid. He knows the physicality that a player can handle and how he can best be effective. And he it's, it's proof in the pudding that he's using him in the most manageable and the successful that, way. That he's that's a, I mean, that's a very good point because there was a time where Leon Bailey couldn't put one foot in front of the other without pulling the hamstrings. <laughs> Unless it was Everton. Anytime <laughs> yeah, he gets Everton. Unless it was good. Everton. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, let's go to Tom for this one. I mean, you had this tweet, so Tom, so I might as well reference you and give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a Holt cast bump here. Of course, you tweeted Ollie Watkins is the first player this season to reach 10 plus goals and 10 assists in any European top five league. Ollie Watkins is the first player to assist 10 goals in the Premier League this season. Ollie Watkins has 26 goals plus assists from 27 Villa starts this season. I mean, Ollie Watkins is king at this point, isn't he? Like you talk, I, about, I don't know what other way to describe it or even you, ask it. You talk about being the best and you're, you're like being among the best in your position in the league. Uh, there's absolutely no question for me about Ollie, like Ollie Watkins. Um, it's everything he brings. Like yesterday, he had a bit. You know, yesterday he had a he had a great game. I, like I saw, he admitted like after he admitted in the post match interview 
um, that he didn't expect to have so much space in that game. And it was bizarre. Like, it's slightly... Yeah, I said after the Newcastle game, when we, you know, the, when we lost at home to Newcastle in midweek, Newcastle looked like they'd sussed out that all they had to do was limit Ollie Watkins to like two touches, mark it, stay tight, mark him out the game, and then block passing lanes. And that won them the game. Sheffield United did the, did the absolute opposite. You know, the amount of time, like talking about Dougie Louise's fantastic assist, but he, by the time he set Watkins up for that goal, He'd already found him twice, I think, maybe even more with balls through the middle. Like he found him for the first goal when uh, Watkins hit the post or it was cleared off the line. I can't remember um, for McGinn's goal. Um, so what the you know Watkins is getting a lot, of, got a lot of space in that game, but it's not just the the stat padding and the goals and assists. It's like as an all around striker, we've been saying this for a while. I think Villa fans, on particularly on this pod, is there? Does anybody really come to mind who you'd rather have? as an all-around striker and as the focal point in a team like this, because I struggle really to, I struggle to offer up Ollie Watkins in even a hypothetical swap with anybody else. He's just, you know, those stats speak for themselves, really. Like first Premier League player to reach 10 goals, 10 assists, first Premier League player to assist 10. Actually, no, it's first player in Europe's top five leagues and it's reached 10 goals and 10 assists. Like it speaks for itself. I thought he was, I thought he was absolutely fantastic again. You know, he's come away from that game with a goal and two assists. And that's not even counting the first goal, which he basically assists, right? Um, if he can... I know we've Villa fans talk a lot about Ollie Watkins' consistency in terms of the numbers he puts up. For me, he's having an astonishingly consistent season. I think uh, there's not really there's not really a game. There are a couple of games maybe where we don't get him into the action as much as we'd like in terms of chances created for him. But... You know, he's brilliant at turning very little into a lot. And uh, I think he's another one who's taken, he's always been good, but he's taken his level up now. And he's genuinely, in terms of the numbers and in terms of the form, probably one of the best in Europe at the moment. Um, And it's astonishing to say that really, because I I know there were a lot of Villa fans who questioned whether he could get to that higher level. But for me, he's there. Well, it's interesting you say that, um, Tom, because I'm just looking at more of Leon Bailey's stats just solely in the Premier League again since he's come to Villa for the 2021 season. So, of course, that season he played 37 games, scored 14 goals. Uh, the following season, he, uh, let's see, he made 35 appearances. Um, and let's see, I think two of those were subs, 11 goals were scored. Next season, 37 appearances, one substitute appearance. Uh, 15 goals scored this season 23 appearances already like we still have a good chunk of the season to go he has 11 goals there is no way he is not surpassing 15 goals from last season and to be honest and I mean Seb let me know if I'm crazy I I can see him getting very very close to 20 goals this season just in the Premier League am I being crazy or do you think that's realistic uh, that's probably one of the more realistic things you've you've said on your time on the podcast. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I I agree. The the numbers that he puts up, he he's one of the players like we know oh so well that he just needs one, and then he will probably go on a run for about five or six, banging them in for fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's still a long long way to go this season. Um, and like the other guys said really well, he's he's having a good season. He's having a consistent season. So if he can keep it up and, you know, we keep scoring as we are at the moment, then there's no reason why he can't. And I think he would probably be disappointed if he doesn't. Um, 
I think you could tell in his interview that he's he's feeling confident. He feels as though he's on top of his game at the moment. And he's that sort of person that always wants more. So there's no reason why he won't be aiming for it as well. Yeah, and he's scoring in a variety of different ways. He's averaging 0.48 goals per match. He scored two headers. Uh, let's see here, five from the right foot, four from the left foot. He's had 68 shots. Uh, 28 on target, so a 41% accuracy of hitting the goal. Hit the woodwork three times. Um, he's had 14 big chances missed, but I mean, as a striker, that's going to always be considerably higher. The thing I really like here is he's created eight. He's averaging 15.65 passes per match. He's made 360 of them this far. He's had 10 assists, like we've said, but it's just the durability of every single season. He's literally been at around at least 35 games a season. And that's probably something, Simon, that almost is underrated in a way. Because you look at any striker in this league, it could be from Holland to, I don't know, the last, the worst striker in the league. I don't want to put a name out there and then start another debate. But it is about durability as well as performance. And Ollie Watkins is the definition of both, especially this season. Yeah, it's kind of... You always feel like you don't, I don't want to talk about his durability and, and I risk jinxing it. So okay, let's, let's cut that off. Because, okay. because uh, <laughs> you know, the way the football gods work. But he, the, the facts are, I'm sure I saw something a couple of months ago. It's something like over the last like five seasons, he's only missed like five or six games through injury or something like that. Like he's, So he is like ridiculously durable. He's it's, it's kind of... You, you you hear all, all you know, loads of people say, "Oh, if something happens to Watkins, what would they do?" And like, th- there is like some validity to that, but it's kind of like, like there's there's no evidence to suggest that that it, you know he's not like a, a Cannon Wilson, for example, who you know is a good player, but you know he's always going to get injured. So, like, there does seem to be that about him. So you know, such words that I don't, you know, I haven't just drinks in there, but that. But you're right, that is an underrated quality to to have that level of durability. And it, it shows, you know, that there's yeah, a real, obviously, good sort of natural level of physicality. But it, it shows that he, he looks after himself properly. You know, the, the, one of the re- to be able to, to perform at those levels consistently for that level of time, you've got to, you know, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to put the work in. And, you, you know, you've got to work hard at doing that. And he, he, he does see that. And I think uh, Emery, um, after the game, I think was talking about him and, you know, how his, uh, his sort of desire to improve all the time and constantly work harder. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a really underrated quality and with, with the goals and, and it's the assists that impressed me so much because especially when you consider how under Emery, he's kind of changed his game so that he's not constantly running the channels. You know, he's not constantly dropping deep and getting involved in play. So to to have adapted to the way that he kind of plays now, where it's off the, sh- you know, on the last shoulder of the defender, staying between the width of the box, to still be getting 10 assists in the league, having, you know, whilst not doing all the donkey work that you've done before, that's ridiculously impressive, I think. And I agree with Tom. You know, when when you're talking about the best strikers in the league, obviously Haaland, because, you know, he's he's just a freak of nature with his goals. But if you're looking like out-and-out centre-forwards, you know, you've got people like Salah, who is technically a forward who plays out-and-wide. If you're talking out-and-out 
through the middle centre forwards. Other than Haaland, I don't think there's a better one. Like, I genuinely don't. You know, and, and you, you look at sort of who are the, the candidates that, that play sort of through the middle for their clubs. You've got the little kids at Man U who scored his first goal against us. He's, you know, he he looks like he's got a bit of potential, but he's he's obviously, you, you're not swapping Watkins for him. You're not swapping him for Richarlison. You're not swapping him for Wilson. Isak, I think, is a really good player, but he kind of plays out wide a bit as well. So, you know, there's there's no one else really for that, and and it's kind of you know when um you always get not so much now to be fair, but you know the last six to twelve months, you you see constantly um, fans sort of talking about oh we need to upgrade, you know we we need to get someone better. Who who are you going to get that is realistically going to come to Aston Villa that is better than Ollie Watkins? And the answer to that is there's no one. Yeah, I mean, there's been made a lot of that on social media. Getting the second striker, can we eventually find someone better than Ollie Watkins? Those things don't grow on trees, and I think we have to be realistic. And for one, appreciate what we have currently as well. I I know as football fans, we're always thinking of the the future um, because we want the next thing, the next bit of success. But I mean, at this time, it's absolutely brilliant. One word reviews from each of you for that Dougie Louise pass to set up Ollie Watkins' goal. Seb, we'll start with you. Um, sublime. And I, I know you said one word, but trying to sum that up with one word is is almost impossible. I, I, I genuinely don't have enough words to describe it. Um, but that that's the quality that we know that he can produce and that he's come to show for us. Um, especially in the last sort of 12 months or so. So, you know, hopefully now he starts getting that recognition, obviously not too much recognition because we'd still like him to be an Aston Villa player for many years to come. But hopefully people start to take notice of just how pivotal he is to our midfield and to our team as a whole. Well said. A, a wonderful one-word review, but no, in all seriousness, that was that was very good. Simon, one-word review from you? Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't just dedicate one word to that like, is everyone fucking... gonna say this <laughs> Man, yeah, it was yeah. fucking magic like that honestly <laughs> that that you won't you will not see a better pass in the premier league all season I'm, you won't that that was ridiculous i mean honestly like I, i've said before while well, i think outside of villa fans douglas Ruiz is the most underrated player in the premier league he honestly he could play for any team i think in european football and it would don't say would, that no, he's no. a place for us. <laughs> no, well, if any team... He's rubbish, to, honestly. He's if so... Any team want, well, if any team wanted to sign him, for when you look at the money other midfielders have gone for... You start at the 100 million for Caicedo and you go up from there. That's what yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I think Caicedo... So Caicedo was 115 million. Enzo <laughs> Fernandez. Yeah, 115. Enzo Fernandez was 105. Now, if they're going for that money... I'm not answering the phone until someone says 120 and we'll start there and work our way up. Douglas Louise is fucking outstanding and that pass was unbelievable. Can I just say I'm really glad this topic's come up because I was having a um, I was having a chat in the kitchen with my flatmates last night after watching the game just about prices and you know where they're sort of worth and um I mentioned 120 and that was the exact figure I started with and I got laughed out the room. 
they were going, well, Caicedo and Enzo, you know, Chelsea, you can't set the blueprint because Chelsea have been stupid and overspent. And I went, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how it works. You know, you're worth that to us. And uh, yeah, they, they were sort of going, well, you'd be stupid if you wouldn't take anything over 60. And at that point, it was time for me to sort of walk out. But I, You need to get new flatmates. You need to get new flatmates. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad this has come up because um, I'm glad people actually agree with me. Fair enough. Tom, now if you give me a one-word review and that's it, th- this will be an absolute miracle. But one-word review on that pass. Decent. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's fucking fantastic, man. I agree completely with, with Simon. I've seen a lot of people say this on social media. Like if, you know, if Kevin De Bruyne plays that pass or whatever, it's on highlight reels on every fucking thing for the next couple of weeks. Um, you're right about Louise. Like he's um, Louise. And I think at the moment, probably Louise, uh, we, we've sung Leon Bailey's praises. I think probably Ollie Watkins, Douglas Louise, are the two players that, um, I don't know if I'd swap for anyone, really, like at all. You know, I guess I'd swap. I guess maybe Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I don't know, though, but it's because, like, Louise is like a... If you define Louise as a kind of, like, modern two-way central midfielder, which I guess you probably do, like, he's decent at tracking back and that sort of stuff as well. He's certainly not an attacking midfielder. He's, like, that deep-lying creative midfielder. Like, the fact that he is performing at this level um, is a big, big reason why we are where we are this season. He's just fantastic. Like, I was looking at his stats as well. Um, like, the longest he's gone this season across, like, all competitions without either scoring or assisting a goal is one time he went three games without doing that. That's it. Like, and for that, for, like, a, if you're kind of like a deep-lying central midfielder, that production rate, talked already about, like, Ollie Watkins and Leon Bailey as being among the best in their position in terms of output you put Douglas Louise right up there. Um, and so that talk about money, yeah. I mean, hopefully it's academic because hopefully we're not going to have to worry about that or whatever. But like the biggest trick I think that Villa ever pulled, I saw this, somebody said this on social media, made me laugh, is uh, playing him out, playing him in a variety of positions and systems that don't suit him until his buyback clause ran out and then putting him where he's best and letting him do his stuff. Like the biggest trick that we pulled is managing to, you know, keep him sort of hidden away from Man City. <laughs> And could convince City that he's better off spending 45 million on Calvin Phillips. Yeah, like it's unbelievable, <laughs> man. And I agree, I agree completely. It's, we're gonna like if you had if you had any non-Villa fans who don't watch us every week listening to this, they would probably think that we are um uh having some kind of collective, you know, uh fever dream when we're talking about 100 million plus for Douglas Louise. But you just have to watch him every game, like. Who you, you yeah. talk about? Just the one thing about you, Seb, your fat mate saying or whatever, like sixty million or whatever. You take sixty million. Who are you like? How are you replacing that? Like the the Louise of this season, you're not coming close to replacing him for sixty million. Like sixty million is not a lot of money in football anymore. No, I I, I think the thing as well, and like we we will probably get you know if there's any any non villa fans will just think that we're being biased here, but I'd like to think that I'm like fairly like, you know, reasonable, level-headed and sensible. But I think you're talking central midfielders. Has there been a better central midfielder in the Premier League this season? Now, there's obviously people like De Bruyne are, you know, absolutely amazing. He's been injured for half, you know, pretty much all the season. Rodri is more of a, like a holding mid... I don't think you can compare Rodri and Louise. If you're talking like 
the, the type of midfielder that Douglas Louise is, you know, a sort of an all-around box-to-box. I don't think there's been a better performing central midfielder this season in the Premier League over the whole year. Yeah, I mean, I probably, you know, I can't, some, certainly nobody comes to mind, really. Like, you're right about, like, like Rodri, for me, is the best in his position mm. in the league. Rodri, for me, has that kind of, like, Makalele effect at you, Chelsea. You where compare he's just, Kamara more with Rodri. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Rodri is the best in his position for yeah. my money, like that, like, midfield anchor. Um, but you're right, like, because Luis can do, I'm not being funny, he can do everything. And I mean, like, everything. And you can't find players like that. And you certainly don't find them for less than 100 million, you know, really. So he's just one of those players, honestly, I feel, I think as Villa fans, what what I'm still trying to do this season is every so often, I'm trying to st- take a step back and appreciate the Villa that we're watching this year because it's hard to not get swept up in like the minutiae and like, oh, this thing hasn't gone well. Um, Douglas Louise is one of those players who genuinely, for me, you hear the phrase like he's a joy to watch gets overused I think Douglas Louise it's a privilege to watch him play for Aston Villa I genuinely mean that yeah I mean I and you know it's uh I know we, uh, we we often joke about how long I've been going to to Villa Park but like I, I, I said this um a, a couple of months ago and and it hasn't changed like with virtually every game that goes by Douglas Louise genuinely gets higher and higher on my list of all-time favorite Villa players that I've seen like which that can sound crazy because obviously we've seen he's he's a current player and we have had some great players. But I, I genuinely like not 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 you know recently biased. I've been absolutely serious. He's one of the best players I've seen play for Villa. Like I, at, I honestly think he is. You look at people like you know James Milner and Gareth Barry and mm. you know Petrov when he was on his on his best form, like in his best seasons. Like Douglas Louise does things that none of those players could do. I think, and it's and it, yeah. he does that. He does those kind of things while doing everything else to such a high standard. Like a little, it's interesting because I like living out in living out in Canada, like Cole. Like I don't get to go to Villa Park very often at all. Like I've literally been to Villa Park once in the last once since we got promoted because just haven't been haven't been in, you know haven't had an opportunity. The only game I went to is I went to um, when we lost three one at home to Liverpool on Boxing Day of I think last season. Yeah, yeah. Really down. First game back after the World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, like really down performance, no rhythm or momentum or anything. Should come back from the World Cup. Um, It's really interesting because being back for the first time in years, the thing that struck me the most from that game, we lost 3-1, didn't play very well, is that technically speaking, Douglas Louise was the best Villa player on the park by such a huge distance. And it's one of those things where I think you forget if you go, if you're lucky enough to be able to go to games all the time or every week, you forget how much different watching football live in the stadium is compared to watching on TV in terms of what you can see and how you see players play. Douglas Louise, one of the most intelligent footballers that Villa have had in a long time, I think. And that was evident even for me when I was there in a game where we didn't play very well. So it's just, I think even back then, I knew that he has this kind of level in him. So to see him hit it week after week is just, I use the word a privilege, it really is. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Absolutely. Well, one way to kind of turn this 5-0 win into looking ahead to Chelsea midweek, of course, in the replay for uh, qualification into the fifth round of the FA Cup, of course, is four clean sheets, like I mentioned at the start of this podcast, out of, I think, what, the five games in 2024. And, I mean, Simon, I think it's fair to say we're definitely seeing a different villain. I do apologize if you can hear my dog. He's a mental case. But, anyways, um, it's just one of those cases where you sit back and you look at it. And I know we can complain about the likes of Clement Longley maybe not playing well, or maybe Kahn's has had his off game so far. But, I mean, when you put it in the context, four clean sheets out of five, and now we've just came away from a 5 no win. Yes, it's against the worst team in the Premier League statistically. Um, and then, of course, the table this season. Um, <laughs> so the proof's in the pudding. But there has to be a lot of confidence heading into this one, doesn't there? And, of, of course, Chelsea just lost 4-2 to Wolves. So, Yeah, I think the, the clean sheet thing is, is quite a big one, actually. Because, you know, when that sort of like September to November period, where we, we I think apart from the Forest game, we like pretty much won every other game. But we couldn't keep a clean sheet for love of the money. Even when we were pumping three, four, five, six past teams, we'd always concede one goal, which, you know, when you're scoring that many, you kind of, you can live with it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter. But to, to, you know, have now four clean sheets in, in five games and fully all four of them coming away from home as well. The only time we concede is being the Newcastle up in the park where, where we're so strong. Um, I think that is a big thing. It, it breeds confidence, and you know the. You mentioned Clement Longley there. I, I kind of feel that he his biggest crime is that he's not Paul Torres. <laughs> like, Longley is a, a a fine enough centre back. He, I don't think he's done anything horrifically bad. I don't think he's done anything amazingly good. I think he's been decent, but because he's not Paul Torres, and it completely changes the way that we can play. It seems to have been jumped on again. You know the the way that people can jump on players that that he's absolutely garbage and he's the reason that that we're not doing. You know that that we've been on this iffy patch, but this iffy patch as we've still picked up points in the majority of those games. You know, so it's not like it's, it's been more of a problem from a going forward point of view with this iffy patch than, than defensively, really. Um, so yeah, to, like it's. That, that that's just I just wanted to make that point on Longley just to mention that I I don't think he's been as horrific as people would have you make out. Um, but yeah, going into the the Chelsea game on Wednesday, with I think the the biggest thing as I said right at, at, at the start of this was that we that that result uh, against Sheffield United was was much needed. You know, it, not not so much the win was obviously important, but the performance was vital. You know, just it re-energizes everyone. It, it can be, you know, a nice little way to okay, we've we've had our little blip. Now let's you know get cracking again. And I think we and we mentioned it on the um the Twitter spaces on, on Thursday. 
that I actually think that getting back into the rhythm of playing, you know, two games a week, I, I, I think it's going to help us. And obviously that's, that's going to start on Wednesday against Chelsea. Assuming if we can get through that, then I think the next round is also a midweek game and then the European football starts again. So hopefully we'll, um, you know, we can, we can start going off, off, uh, off on a, a nice little run again now and, uh, yeah, and, and it'll be all happy days again. Absolutely. Well, Seb, I'll, I'll bring this one to you because, I mean, Leeds or Plymouth, depending who win that one, if Villa win, is the next potential opponent, one of those two, of course. I mean, there's no better reason, in my opinion, than to beat Chelsea in advance because there's, honestly, the way things are starting to shake up in this competition, there's a real chance for Villa now, isn't there? Yeah, when you look at the teams that are left, the draw that we were given was probably one of the few favourable that we could have had. You know, it's, it is mainly just the sort of traditional big teams left in now, if you like. Um, so I feel like there's no reason to for it to have our full focus, you know, beating a Chelsea team that are below standard at the moment at the time of recording. They've just lost 4-2 um, to Wolves at home. You know, questions are being asked of Pochettino. It feels almost like it's sort of a crisis for them. They looked as though they might have come out of it and were starting to find their way. But, you know, a few more poor results have put put the pressure back on them. Um, we're back at Villa Park, a place where, bar the Newcastle game, we've been near enough perfect for the last, again, sort of 12 months. So there's no reason why we can't win this and then go into a game again at Villa Park that isn't going to be easy. I want to stress that it's not going to be an easy game, but it's a game against lower league opposition to put ourselves within 90 minutes of Wembley. So there's no reason why it shouldn't have our full focus and... You know, we can't sort of balance it alongside this amazing act that we're putting up in the Premier League and also the Conference League that is is soon to return. I would be I'll be very upset if we don't if we don't give it our, our full performance. Exactly. And I mean, Tom, I'll, I'll bring this one to you. And I, I know earlier in the season, especially when Villa were in the group stage of the Conference League, a lot of the conversation was kind of game management, load management for these players. But I mean, looking at how things are going to kind of forecast out in terms of when the Conference League knockout rounds start to go, uh, how Villa, how deep Villa can potentially go in the FA Cup, just the Premier League schedule. I mean, there's really no argument against Villa needing to massively maintain kind of load management at this point. I, I think we have the squad we have. There's injury concerns. Everyone has injuries. But, I mean, there's no reason to try to at least go as far as we can in this competition and see it as one of the main priorities, right? Yeah, I mean, you're right about load management, but I, I think there's a very, you know, I, there's a very strong argument. I think, assuming that Esri Concer is okay, I think there's a very strong argument for going unchanged, really, against Chelsea because, like, we were the the okay Sheffield United, like again, were very bad, um, but there, it's like the 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 wavelength that we were on, um just as a team I thought was fantastic and so that is exactly the kind of momentum that you want to if there's no strong compelling reason to rest a particular player then I would love to see us just roll with it um and go unchanged again um 
because I think everyone's playing. Everyone played at such a high level. Like I thought, Yuri Tielemans also was excellent. Um, I know that he's one who I don't know if it's fair to say he like divides opinion, but I think his his levels are scrutinized maybe more than like Douglas Louise or Bubakar Kamara or somebody like that. Um, I thought he was I thought he was excellent, and not just um, the fact that he scored a goal or whatever, but his general level of commitment and desire. Like the header that he won for our uh, I can't uh, Leon Bailey's goal, I think. Um, won like a really really brave header to set Watkins free to run, and you know we're already two we're already two nil up at that point. Like it would be very easy not to go in for a challenge like that, but that was a moment for me that sort of um, symbolised where this team were as a whole on Saturday, really. And so I think when you've got that level of desire and commitment. You're coming off a result like this and a performance like this, like the feel good factor after Saturday must be just incredible. Like the atmosphere in the dressing room and on the training ground must be incredible. Such a big opportunity to carry that forward now into Wednesday against the Chelsea team who are certainly nothing special. And I think it's fair to say are certainly not as good as we have been at our general level this season, you know. Um, like we'll we will be favourites for that game and for a reason. So I agree, really. As much as load management is important, I think we can afford to go full tilt and we should go full tilt on Wednesday. And then I just wanted to pick up on Simon's point as well. I completely agree. I've had this thought as well about us being, I think, going back to two games a week can really can really suit us because that's where we, we had really sussed that out in, in the autumn. Like we'd really worked out the rigors of playing twice a week and learning how to carry momentum forward, how to make tweaks. And you just get the feeling that that is what Unai Emery lives for. That quick turnaround, that on the laptop, on the team bus, on the way home, you know, that is, that's him and his absolute element. Like there's, he's one of the most successful European managers in recent history. Um, and all of that success comes with playing twice a week for the entirety of a season. Like he, that is his home. He knows that. And so I, I agree, really. I, like, I'm looking forward to getting back to that level of playing twice a week or whatever, because it's going to be another test of what we're really made of. And it's a test that I feel like we've already passed once this season, albeit the, the standard of opponent is going to get more difficult in, you know, in Europe. Um, but there's nothing about this Villa team that concerns me about that, really, which is a, a, a remarkable thing to say, considering the level, the number of injuries we've been contending with, the fact that we're still performing at such a high level um, in general. I know we'd had a bit of a down spell last few weeks, but it is remarkable, really. And so we had a lot of talk at the start of this season about will Villa be able to compete on all fronts. I will hold, I'm happy to hold my hand up right now and say that as of right now, Villa are, perform- Villa are doing better across all fronts at this stage of the season than I thought we would be doing. Like I, I never, ever really dreamt that we would be in fourth at the start of February, still in, still in the uh, domestic cup, still in Europe and fourth in the league. That is, that is big time stuff. It, it's crazy when you put it like that. I, I just can't not have a smile on my face. And I mean, it is true when you look at, you look at Jacob Ramsey's coming back, he's getting minutes, Tim, Tim, uh, big Tim. I'm just going to call him. I always butcher his last name and I don't want to show him any disrespect. You can tell the attempt there was absolutely failed. So he got minutes and I think that was vitally important as well. You look at Morgan Rogers, obviously coming in, getting minutes and you know, he's going to play some first team football as well for the rest of the season. 
if we don't have, of course, Dendonker anymore, he's out on loan. Of course, Bruno Traore would have only probably played one game for the rest of the season, regardless. So I think we do have the squad. And I mean, you look at someone like Morgan Rogers, for example, he can slot in a few different places. We know Dougie Louise can do the same. John McGinn can do the same. Jacob Ramsey can do the same as well further forward. I, I think we have a lot of players that can play multiple roles. And I think that's the squad that Unai Emery's probably preferred and definitely wanted going forward. And I think that definitely puts us in good stead with multiple competitions because it's not like you're relying on the same starting 11 and the same positioning and all that kind of stuff. I, I know we prefer certain players to play in certain areas, but again, it's all about tactical flexibility and keeping everyone as healthy as possible. And I think we're able to accomplish that, but let's get over to one of the newer features. A, a lot of these are well, I shouldn't say newer features, but features we've had in the past and we'll be rolling out going forward. And I did promise this like over a month ago, but nonetheless, over to the Twitter polls, we'll do these each week as well. So I will ask on Twitter and potentially they'll move over to Facebook shortly once I can get get that figured out. There's a little bit of a situation going on with that one. But regardless of that, I ask you three questions every week and I want your answers on it. So the first question was, after yesterday's 5-0 win over Sheffield United, will Villa finish in the top four? 52.7% said yes, 47.3% said no. Uh, we'll do Seb, Simon, and then Tom. So Seb... Yes or no to the first poll question. I actually, unfortunately, voted no for this one just because um, I, I just don't want to get too ahead of myself just yet. I think I think it will go right down to the wire, and I just don't want to think about it if we if we end up missing out. Negativity, Simon. How about you? Yes. Fair enough, Tom. Uh, I'm with Seb on this one. I'm going to go no. Oh. Let's have us finish fifth. Let's let fifth be a Champions League spot, so it doesn't matter anyway. That's my uh, that's my vote. Uh, fair enough. Negative Nancy's here, but regardless of that, <laughs> let's get over to the second question. If Villa could only accomplish one thing this season, which would you prefer? The options were top four, 44.4% um, was the majority vote for this one in the top four. Uh, when the Conference League got 24.8% and when the FA Cup got 308 To be honest, I thought the FA Cup one would... Um, be the one for some reasons i just feel like everyone wants it wants that one just i don't know maybe it's over the the four nil against arsenal all those seasons ago but of course seb we'll start with you what's your vote for this one yeah fa cup for me um puts us oh champions league i just can't look past the trophy (laughs) i just can't look past winning a trophy i'm sorry i'm going i'm gonna it might be controversial i'm gonna go fa cup fair enough simon See, I've for years I'm I'm such a hypocrite, like and I'm disgusted in myself because for years and years and years I used to laugh at Arsenal fans when they said, So oh, finishing fourth like winning a trophy and I used to say, No, I wanna win a trophy and and I really do wanna win a trophy. But the choice of them is is Champions League because and and the sad thing is, the way I'm thinking about this is how sad Football has become in a way because from a financial point of view, it, it, it helps the club out and it opens the doors for players that we can come in as well. So I, I just, I really want to win a trophy though. <sighs> can I, can I not just have, can, can we not just win it all? Can we not finish fourth <laughs> and win both the cups? I guess I could have put all the above. If, but... if, if, it, if it's, if it's a choice, I think this season, I think I'd have to go fourth because I, how the opportunity to finish fourth 
doesn't come around that often that I don't think you can turn it down if if you're given that choice. Well, that was the longest one-word answer, but regardless of that, <laughs> fair enough for sitting on the fence on that one. Um, Tom, your your vote for this one, please. Yeah, I'm sort of in the same I'm in the same bracket as Simon, really. And again, I'm the same. I like for years I'd said trophy over anything, but it's like the romantic side of me still thinks like winning the FA Cup. Yeah, would just be fantastic. But the thing is, is that you're right. It's such a sad way to look at football, but the practical and pragmatic side of it is Champions League for me. And it's different. Like we're, now that we're actually here, and it's yeah. so within <laughs> touching reach, it's like ah, oh, that like <clears throat> missing out on it would would sting a lot. And I kind of guess my argument kind of would be that you're only ever like I don't exactly exactly know what it is, but you're only ever what six or seven games away from winning a trophy in like the FA Cup. But finishing fourth is like the culmination of like a 38 game season where you've been consistently one of the better teams in the league, and I think is a. You might not get the silverware for it, but it's perhaps a better indication of our actual progress and sets us up for the future. So there's my 1,000 word answer. Isn't it kind of mental when you think about it with the Champions League? Like the players you can track for potentially only playing six games. Like when you put it like that, it's it's mental. Someone will make their future off. Oh, I can play six games here against, I don't know, Spartak Moscow or something like Ooh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I do, See, I do get it, but I, 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 I would love to win an FA Cup, but just because I've been to Sevilla in two FA Cup finals, and we've been, <laughs> yeah, it's been a fucking abortion to watch those two finals. <laughs> like, I mean, the one against Chelsea at the last ever Wembley is the worst game of football I've still ever seen, and then the one against Arsenal was just so fucking embarrassing. Arsenal was, emba- it was embarrassing, wasn't it? It was yeah. like we'd been, we'd been treated <laughs> to a special day out. You know I, what I mean, mean that, <laughs> I, I still remember, like, genuinely about three minutes into the game, me and my brother turned to each other and went, this is going to be four or five now. <laughs> like, so I'd really love us to actually get to the FA Cup final and, and fucking win it and play well. Shea Gibbons still trying to make a save, oh. uh, I think. But um, regardless Move of that, on. Move yeah, on. Moving on very, <laughs> ever so swiftly. The last one, of course, is never a very serious one. Um, I asked which is the best food, fast food chain out of these four. These aren't the best. I just, I just picked a few at the top of my head. And I had to also make it kind of UK slash maybe global centric so everyone can kind of have an opinion because I know some chains are in certain locations and I think these are pretty well global. Uh, we gave Subway got 14.3%, KFC got 29.4%, McDonald's got 38.7%, which I figured would be the winner, and Burger King got a 176 I'm not really too sure how, to be honest, because I don't really rate Burger King. Um, Simon Palmer on Twitter actually tweeted in um, his suggestion on this one. McDonald's for breakfast, Burger King for the rest of the day. Um, I, I do enjoy and appreciate people actually giving further insight into their <laughs> into how they would structure certain fast food places into their diet but seb how are you voting on this one i'm gonna go burger king i disgusting i you should see the reactions from the rest of the whole cast crew. people aren't happy with me and this people is broken britain right here people. at home also <laughs> probably aren't happy with me but i I enjoy Burger King more than I enjoy McDonald's. So I've, it, it, I don't know. I'm, what about Burger King? Please just tell me what you enjoy more. I need to know. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I, I go for the same thing every time. It's, what do you go for? So <laughs> my order at Burger King is a, a chicken royale with bacon and cheese. And then I go for the cheesy bacon loaded fries and probably <laughs> a, a fizzy drink of some so sort. So you just plug yourself up with cheese basically. 
Yeah, essentially. Um. <laughs> and it, you know, I feel awful afterwards, but eating it feels so, so good. And I, I feel like McDonald's is... I don't like I, I I go for McDonald's a lot, but I I eat McDonald's more when I'm not sober. So I've, I've got to go for but, but see the thing. Okay, this is I don't know if this is like ever. But I would agree thing. with Simon. McDonald's breakfasts are very very good. Oh yes, their hash browns are delightful, and their mig- sausage McGrills. Actually, I had one on Friday, so that's why I would vote that way. The one thing I will say, Burger King. Maybe it's only the local one to me, but. Literally every time I drive by it, it looks like there's a fire going off. There's so much smoke coming from that building. I don't know why you're only making burgers. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm more than happy to sit here and take criticism off Simon and Tom, but after your abomination with oh. the fish and chip situation the other week, I don't know whether he sent the photo to you boys no, as didn't. well. But after after your experience with the fish and chip, like oh, I can't take advice of you. No, it was it's well, like that's what I'm used to, right? So and if it's I wrong. go. Well, yeah, oh, no, that's I your opinion. I, I oh, I'm going to get fire. absolutely slapped that this is this is Canadian racism at its finest. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Simon, your vote, please. Uh, it's McDonald's, isn't it? It's it's a boring, classic answer, but you just you can't go wrong, especially you know you're somewhere that you you don't quite know, and you're starving, and you see those golden arches. What's no, your go-to? Poetic. Oh, go to. I've I've got there's there's two different ones I mix I like to mix them up so I'm either going um, a chicken sandwich meal with a side order of a of a double cheeseburger you know mix the chicken and and the beef or I'm going the Big Mac meal and I'm getting my chicken nuggets so I'm not missing out on my chicken. Oh, that's also that's another point that I'd like to add in. Sorry, that's reminded me to feel full. <laughs> To feel full uh, on a McDonald's, you need to order more than to feel full after a, a Burger King. That's why they're the best. They've got that amazing business model. You have to buy more. <laughs> Absolutely. That, uh, can I just say, I know listeners won't be able to see this, but when I asked Simon this question, he put his hand behind his couch like a, like an old man that's going to talk <laughs> a very long-winded story. Uh, I, I got a real kick out of that. But no, Simon, I do appreciate that. Typically, I get two McDoubles, a large fry, and a large drink because it's like 10 bucks or something like that. So, um, well, if I use my McD's points. But anyways, <laughs> Tom, save me from here. What's what's your vote? <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably on balance, probably McDonald's. I do prefer I do prefer McDonald's breakfast to, you know, anything else. What I will say, though, is that um, I don't know if it's just that my my memory of being a student in the UK is like golden in my mind you know what i mean everyone likes being a student but kfc in the uk for my money significantly better than southern ontario kfc oh, it's terrible here Jesus. it is but like K- <laughs> kfc isn't even the third best chicken fried chicken place within like a two miles of my house it's like it's really bad out here and in the in the uk it's just nicer the side selection is better so like KFC, I used to, to eat, I used to eat yeah. a lot of KFC when I was a student uh, in the UK. So you know, on a trip back home, I'd get that here. My go-to, I'd probably get a McDonald's breakfast. Um, Burger King is just absolutely no. It's it's terrible. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but it's a terrible over here. Um, and Subway is just Subway is what you get when you you there's there's no other option. Yeah, Subway's your lunchtime, isn't it? Yeah, it's your lunchtime at work. You know, some I mean, of them are right. I'm, I'm, partial to, I'm partial to a meatball marinara or a oh, yeah. ch- chicken teriyaki. But it is, for me, it's like uh, if there's nothing else going, 
I'll just have a subway then, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Settle for it, that. Yeah, it, 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 you don't feel as guilty, but I just, Subway's blinded for me because my mum always goes for the tuna melt option. <laughs> Why is this the most sensible conversation? I, I was just thinking, <laughs> how has this had more <laughs> discussion than whether we'll be finishing the top four or not? <laughs> This this is why we don't read out three three word reviews. I can't even speak. Um, we're still doing them on Twitter and typically on Facebook as well. So people that enjoy that, you can still do that. We're just not reading them out. But yeah, we we, we swapped this for food conversations. So we'll have these conversations every week about different topics. We'll, we'll see you what next week spring. But that was definitely... we'll have to leave, we'll have to leave more time for this segment next week. I'm gonna have to put the timer on so I actually know how long <laughs> I've been running. Jesus Christ. Anyways, let's get over to this. So, you know, hence, hence me getting a yellow card for saying I think you've had juggling balls for Christmas. Okay, and this is a new one. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that jingle. These guys couldn't hear it because I added it in, in the edit. So just a little uh, precursor so people weren't thinking I'm a mute for five seconds. We are here for Dean Smith's Juggling Six. So we've done games tradition on the Holt cast. I think we probably stopped just over a year ago. And now I want to bring it back because it was so much fun. We're going to do it a different way. This one's going to be a two-parter, but traditionally the whole emphasis is on the six of the Dean Smith's juggling six. So these guys will have a certain amount of lives that I'll set them to get the answer correctly. It could be a one-part, three-part, two-part question, whatever. And the theme is, of course, six things that you have to get right. There'll be essentially six things within the theme. I don't know how else to really explain that to make more sense than that so this one of course since it is called dean smith's juggling six it's going to be about sir dean smith so dean smith has managed six clubs in his managerial career so can you name an order from first to current dean smith's clubs that he has managed I don't know if I could go in order. I'd need a notepad for this. Okay, I'll just okay list them this time. Then I'll I'll give you a little bit of a break. I I was expecting this to be easier than I thought. Yeah, I think I might get six. The the six is that including this current one? Correct. I could do five, including the current one. But I think I I could get. I I I think I could get them all. Okay, so you guys are playing together, so you can just list them off as you will, and I'll uh, check them off. They uh, do, don't have to be in order, though. No, oh. I, I erased yeah, you that, got, yeah. Yeah, you got Brentford. Yep. Villa. Yep. Yeah. Nor- Norwich. Correct. Yeah. Leicester. Correct. Yeah. Walsall. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, what's the name of the current one? FC Charlotte in MLS. Correct. Ding, I'd ding, for- ding. I'd forgotten about Walsall somehow. That was one I was missing. Well, that see, that's why I wanted to do it in order, because I figured that would be the hardest way. But then I, I caved in because you, you guys are too nice to me. So I have to do that. <laughs> um, okay, getting over to the second part, I feel like you guys are going to get this. This one is much trickier. Um, since we didn't do it in order, now you're going to have to do it in order because I'm going to ask you, rank the clubs from the least amount of games he's managed to the most in terms of clubs. Okay, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start with the first one, shall I? <laughs> correct. <laughs> Charlotte. <laughs> yes, correct. I, I figured that would be an easy one. So can correct we, can... there. Can we confer with each other? Are we are we playing <laughs> yes. against each other here? No, we... you're playing. Uh, Sam, I I love how this game has turned into an absolute shit show already because you're not listening. You're playing as a team, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, okay. The, well, the second one, if I have to show, he's got to be Leicester then, hasn't it? Yeah, that's, that's why. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I, I genuinely Ooh. think it goes in order. Norwich next because he was yeah. at Warsaw and Brentford and Villa for a good few years. So yeah, you're saying, then, yeah. Okay, so you're saying Norwich next. Okay, and yeah. then then who? 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, was oh, at, he was at Villa. These these next two are very close. I'll give you that as a hint. Okay, so he was at right. Let's, I let's think, think he was at this. I think he was at Villa and Brentford. The a very similar amount yeah. of time. He was, was at Brentford four years. Before. No, he was at Villa from 2019 to 2021. Oh, no, 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 November 21, yeah. Okay, one and twenty two is the World Cup. I'm ah. oh right, yeah, you're right, yeah, twenty, yeah, yeah. So I, think Villa next, at, I think he was at Villa less time than he was at Brentford. But how long did it walk? <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want an answer now on the fourth one. We're taking far Seb, too Seb, Seb, you go, you give an answer. I'm I've been thrown royally under the bus here. Well, come on, <laughs> co- come on, coach Seb. <laughs> Be, um. Well, since we've spent the longest time on it, I'm I'm gonna go Villa, but I have a feeling in the back of my head it could also be Wolves. Okay, so who's who's fifth? If you're going with Villa and fourth, does that mean Villa's right or not necessarily? No, I'm just I'm. This is the order that you're giving me, so I'm <sighs> no, just right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, man. I would they, because he's been like that. I would go. I would actually go Wolves or fourth, then Villa, then Brentford. That, that, I, that's that's how I go. Feeling that it's Wolves or fourth, yeah. That's what I'm gonna say. But the others can give their view. It's such have, a bad teammate. I cannot dispute this teammate. at all. I have okay. no concept at all so we're, of how long he was at Wolves. I'm just taking away the lives and we're just going to go with it because we're going to be here six, 60 years if I give you two lives for this. So you're going with, just to confirm, you're going with. Uh, if, if them two are happy, then are you happy to go Walsall, Villa, Brentford? So we're doing, so you're going to do Charlotte, Leicester, Norwich, Walsall, Villa, Brentford. Is that what that's you what I do? originally thought. Yeah, that's that's sure. what I. Yeah, sure. go on, let's go with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys have got it wrong because, of course, it goes Charlotte FC on zero as of right now. Leicester on eight. North City as fifty six. Villa one hundred and thirty nine. Uh, Brentford one forty three. two sixty. Wow. So, how, what was the difference in guys between Brentford and Villa? Four so, games. Well, let's be honest. This so, yeah. is. This is like I've found a few consistencies between uh, a few different websites, and they're roughly around the same. So uh, Villa is 139. It's saying Brentford is 143. Yeah, I knew that they would. I knew those were close as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, but so he was at Walsall from that was that 2011. So January 4th, 2011 to November 30th, 2015. Keep in mind, of course, lower divisions you do play more games, of course, yeah. and then there's the different cups as well. There's the extra like the check and trade trophy or whatever it's called nowadays. Um and Brentford, he was from there from November thirtieth, twenty fifteen to October tenth, twenty eighteen. Villa, October tenth, twenty eighteen to the seventh of November, twenty twenty one. Norwich, fifteenth of November, twenty one to December twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. Leicester, April tenth of twenty three to June sixteenth. And of course, as of December twelfth of twenty twenty three, he has been Charlotte FC coached. Or coach, I don't know what the hell I was saying there. He's coached uh, or managed 605 games in total with 213 wins, 174 draws, and 218 losses with a win percentage of 35.21. I don't know if that's exact, but this is what the site's giving me. Bonus, bonus question for you. Does anybody know the former Villa player who he will be coaching at Charlotte? Oh, yes. I do know this. Yes. Not not yes. a Dean Smith former Villa player. Ashley Westwood. Yeah. Ashley oh, Westwood in the center in the center of midfield for Charlotte. Yeah, yeah we're throwing it oh, back to God. 2014. Jeez, <laughs> their their fans are going to enjoy those sideways passes. <laughs> I was I was very sad that Dean Smith didn't play for one more club. He only played for five. That was going to be the original question. 
but I, I just really couldn't make it work. And there's no way you guys would have got this because it's Walsall, Hereford, Leighton Norwich, Sheffield Wednesday, and Port Vale. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he started his career in '88. So, I, I the only person I would even have a, any expectancy to guess that would be Simon, since he started Sporting Villa in the '50s. But anyways, <laughs> that has been Dean's juggling six again. It'll probably get more sensical and improve, and not have so many arguments. And I won't bend on the rules next time. But I didn't want to be here for sixty years as well. So. Things are working ever so nicely together. But anyways, I think we'll leave things there. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. We should be back right after the Chelsea game, or you'll hear it the following morning, most likely to get reaction on that as hopefully Villa progress to the fifth round of the FA Cup. Hopefully playing, my preference would be Plymouth, because it'd just be funny, because we're just screwing them over this season, slash helping them. It's in a weird, loving relationship, but we'll figure it out if that does happen. So yeah, we'll be back then. Of course, you can find us on Twitter, slash X, whatever you want to call it these days. Find Seb on there, at Sebastian Bacon 8, Simon at Cy O'Regan, Tom at TD Nightingale, and myself at Talk Aston Villa. Of course, you can tweet the team now. It's the same account, but it's now at Holtcast Pod. We've switched the name from 7500 Holt. Uh, because the website um, is no longer the baby, just the podcast. And if you're listening to this and you usually use the Facebook, um, working on changing the Facebook name, I just need to figure out um, how to get permission for that. But anyways, we'll leave things there. You guys don't have to worry about the admin or that boring crap. And don't forget, uh, the fun. We're going up. Here.